Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Thank you for listening to this CNN podcast. You can subscribe to your favorite CNN podcast with iTunes, with the Apple Podcast app on iOS, or with Stitcher if you're on Android. Tonight, the presidential race is more competitive than ever, and the Democrats are here in New Hampshire to face the voters again. I am so thrilled that I'm coming to New Hampshire after winning Iowa. I believe we have a path toward victory. It's down to Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, just two candidates on one stage taking questions from the people of this battleground state on issues that hit close to home. I am excited about really getting into the debate with Senator Sanders. Their differences are real, and the stakes are soaring just days before the second crucial contest of 2016. Millions of people come together and say loudly and clearly, enough is enough. This is a CNN Democratic Town Hall event a chance for voters to drive the debate with decision day around the corner. Democracy is not a spectator sport. New Hampshire, the eyes of the world are gonna be on you again. New Hampshire is choosing. The Democrats are in the spotlight and they're making their pitches to voters right now. Good evening from the historic Derry Opera House in downtown Derry, New Hampshire. Welcome. We are here tonight with just six days to go until primary day. Just six days left to decide, yet many voters remain undecided. So tonight, Secretary Clinton and Senator Sanders are here with the people of the state and the country for a conversation. I want to welcome our viewers in the United States, in New Hampshire, around the world. We're being seen on CNN, CNN en Español, CNN International. I also want to extend a warm welcome to our servicemen and women who are watching on the American Forces Network and to those who are listening on the Westwood One Radio Network and on CNN Channel 116 on Sirius XM. In the audience here in Derry, New Hampshire, people who tell us they will be participating in Tuesday's Democratic primary, which means registered Democrats or independents. Some have already made up their minds, others still trying to decide whom to vote for. The clock is ticking, guys. We asked audience members to come up with their own questions, which we, we've reviewed to make sure they don't overlap. I'll ask some questions as well, but tonight is really about the voters getting to know the candidates. So let's get started. Up first tonight, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. Welcome. Good to be with you. So you have had, obviously, quite a few days. Uh, it's been 
quite a quite a, a whirlwind for you. I, I understand your campaign campaign says you've raised at least three million dollars since since Iowa. I'm wondering out there in New Hampshire today, what are you feeling? What sort of momentum are you feeling the burn? We're feeling great. <laughs> yes, I am. But now that you ask, <laughs> we're feeling really great. Um, I think the message that we are bringing forth is resonating with the American people. And you talked about money. Um, one of the things that has happened in our campaign, Anderson, which has blown me away, it really has, is we have received three and a half million individual contributions. That is more than any candidate in the history of the United States up until this point. And you know what the average contribution is? $27. Hey, you heard. Uh, <laughs> and that's pretty, and, and in a day of super PACs, where people are raising huge amounts of money from Wall Street and the drug companies, the fact that millions of individual contributions from working people in the middle class who want us to go forward and to transform this country in very significant ways is very moving to me. I'm just going to ask a couple questions, and we're really going to get it over to, to the audience. There is an expectations game being played, and we've been seeing this from both campaigns in New Hampshire. Uh, Hillary Clinton keeps, the campaign keeps pointing to the fact that you're from a neighboring state, that you're way up in the polls. Are you still an underdog? Of course we're an underdog. Uh, we are taking on the most powerful political organization in the country, and that's you know, the Clinton organization. Uh, Secretary Clinton obviously ran here in 2008, and she won. Her husband ran here several times before that. So this is her fourth campaign in that family here in New Hampshire. Uh, it is clear that many people in New Hampshire do know me because I come from a neighboring state. And I think we have support because people over the years have seen the work that I'm doing in standing up for working families uh, and the middle class. But in general, we started this campaign nationally, as, as you well know, uh, 40, 50 points behind Secretary Clinton. We had no money, we had no organization, and we had relatively little name recognition. I think it's fair to say we have come a pretty long way in the last nine months. You are. I mean, according to the latest, I think, CNN poll, you're up some 23 points, some people say or believe, here in New Hampshire. Obviously, we know polls can, can get it wrong. How do you not underperform here? Because there is an expectation. Because that's the media game. That's what media talks about. Who cares? The point is underperform. The point is we are going to work as hard as we can to win. Uh, and after we do hopefully well here, we're going to go on to Nevada and then South Carolina uh, and do as well as we can all over this country. I got to say, in all due respect, that's media stuff over, you know, I think some of these polls... You don't look at polls, your campaign? Sure we do, but some of these polls are off the charts. I mean, we're not, I think this is going to be a very close election uh, here in New Hampshire. Uh, there's been some back and forth on the campaign trail today about uh, is Hillary Clinton a progressive? We're going to get to that later on because we've got some questions from the audience about, about that and, and some other questions. Uh, but Senator uh, Barbara Boxer, a, a supporter of Clinton, came back, fired back basically at your campaign today at you, uh, saying, of course, Hillary Clinton is progressive, and asked, you know, is Ber that Bernie said that Bernie Sanders uh, is a Democrat on some days. You had said that Hillary Clinton is progressive on some days. Is, is that fair? Because there are well, some Democrats who, I mean, in your heart, are you a Democrat? Sure. I have made a decision to run for the Democratic nomination to be president of the United States. I was for 16 years in the House Democratic Caucus, for nine years uh, in the Senate Democratic Caucus. Right now, I am the ranking member. Uh, of the budget committee appointed by the Democratic leadership and membership. A couple of years ago, I was very proudly the chairman of the Senate Veterans Committee. 
So, of course, I am a Democrat and running for the Democratic nomination. In terms of Secretary Clinton, and I know the media is, is kind of making a big deal about this, all that I said, which is simply true, is I think it was in November in Ohio. You may recall this. Yes. I don't know the context of it, but Secretary Clinton said, uh, some people call me, a mo I'm paraphrasing, some people call me a moderate, and I proudly you know, say that I am a moderate. That's what she said. So what all I said, you can't go and say you're a moderate on one day and be a progressive on the other day. Some of my best friends are moderates. I love moderates. But you can't be a moderate and a progressive. They are different. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but I want to go to our audience. Our, our first guest, Chris Brownell, he's an office administrator in Nashua. He says he's leaning towards supporting you, but he's got some questions about his, your tax policies. Sure. Senator Sanders, uh, the first thing I hear about you is that you're going to raise taxes on the middle class. I support my family on a salary of $41,000 a year. I'm wondering if you raise my taxes, how does that help me? Good. Can I stand up? You can do whatever you want. Okay. Uh, Chris, thanks very much for that good question. Um, this is what we are going to do. The United States is the only major country on earth that doesn't guarantee health care to all people. And we end up spending far, far more per capita on health care as do the people of any other country, Canada, UK, France, whatever. What we are going to fight for is a Medicare for all single payer program which would provide comprehensive health care to your family and every family in America. So let me tell you what we do. We raise your taxes if you're, you're somewhere in the middle of the economy, about 500 bucks. But you know what we're going to do for health care? We're going to reduce your health care cost by $5,000. So you're going to pay a little bit more in taxes, but you're no longer going to have to pay private health insurance premiums. Now, I've been criticized for this, but I believe that health care is a right of all people, that we should not have these deductibles and co-payments. We should not be paying the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs. And our Medicare for All program will guarantee comprehensive care to all people and save middle class families some thousands of dollars a year. Chris, let me just ask you, does that math work for you? I, I mean, it, if it saves me on health insurance premiums, I will gladly pay more taxes. See, and, and Chris, what happens in politics, I don't want to shock anybody in the office, Sometimes people distort things. And I, they, I've had 30-second ads run against me years ago. Bernie is going to raise your taxes. But they forget to say, we're going to do away with your private health insurance premiums. Bottom line here is, we spend almost three times more per person than the British, 50% more than the French. We can save substantial sums of money. And my Medicare for all system is funded in a very progressive way. That's, yes, you'll pay a little bit more, but your health premiums will disappear. That's assuming you can get that through, though. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's true. But all of what I am trying to do assumes something. When I talk about making public colleges and universities tuition-free and doing that and paying for that through a tax on Wall Street speculation, when I talk about rebuilding our crumbling infrastructure which, as you know, is, is in disrepair all over this country, and talk about doing away with huge loopholes that major corporations now enjoy so that in a given year you have these large corporations making billions, not paying a nickel in taxes because they're putting their money in the Cayman Islands. Now, how do we get these things through? What this campaign is about is not just electing a president. It is creating a political revolution. 
where millions of people, many of whom have not been involved in the political process, stand up and demand a government which represents all of us, not just wealthy campaign contributors. That's how we make change. Let me ask you. When you use, when you use the term revolution, it makes some people nervous. What's wrong with evolution? Well, I think when we, you know, we had, uh, remember the Reagan revolution and the Gingrich revolution? Well, my revolution's a little bit different. Uh, but it is a process. Look. Let's be clear. We have one of the lowest voter turnouts of any major country on earth. In the last election where Republicans won a huge victory, 63% of the American people didn't vote, 80% of young people didn't vote. Now, when people don't vote, there's a political vacuum that's created, and I will tell you how it's filled. It's filled by lobbyists and campaign contributors who could care less about the middle class who are there to protect the wealthiest people in this country. So what we are trying to do, and I would tell you, Anderson, with some success, is bring working people and young people and lower income people into the political process. And when that happens, you know what? We will raise the minimum wage. We will have health care for all people. We will make public colleges and universities tuition free. I want, to, want you to meet um, Jason uh, Talersky. He's an IT management. He's an IT management. He says you are his dream candidate, but... He does well, have some concerns. always make me nervous. All right, Jason, fire away. So you are my dream candidate in a lot of ways. Uh, the message of your campaign really speaks to me. And on some issues, I feel that you actually speak for me. But I also know that most people don't have the same class-based view of the world that, um, that, uh, that, that I do and, and I think you do as well. Um, I've seen all of your debates, and I just don't see you connecting with people that view, uh, view the world through a, re a religious or racial lens, people that see those as the powerful forces in our society. I'm wondering what you can do to better engage with the broader electorate Good. to understand and understand their points of view, demonstrate that you can be an effective leader for them. Very good question, and thank you for it. Um, we are reaching out as strongly as we can, for example, to the African-American community and to the Latino community. And I think we are gaining more and more support in those communities for a couple of reasons. Number one, within the African-American community, it's not only an economic issue, raising the minimum wage and, and providing jobs, youth unemployment for African-American kids now is 51%. So those are important issues, but I'll tell you what else is an important issue, and that is the criminal justice issue. The fact that we have more people in jail in America than any other country, disproportionately African-American and Latino. The fact that blacks and whites do marijuana at about an equal level, and yet four times more blacks get arrested. The fact that blacks are more likely to be stopped by police uh, in, a, in a vehicle uh, and get arrested than whites. Those are huge issues. And what I have said and repeat to a virtually you know, all-white state, but I'll say this all over the country, there will be no president who will fight harder to end institutional racism than I will, and we have got to reform a very, very broken criminal justice system. It breaks my heart, and I know that it breaks the hearts of millions of people in this country to see videos on television of unarmed people, often African Americans, shot by police. That has got to end, uh, and these are issues that I take very seriously, Jason.
You know, I want to follow up because Jason also mentioned faith, which yes. is something you've spoken a little bit about. You're, you're Jewish, but you said, uh, you've said that you're not actively involved with organized religion. What do you say to a voter out there who says, and, and that, who sees faith as a guiding principle in their lives and wants it to be a guiding principle for this country? It is country? a guiding principle in my life. Absolutely it is. You know, everybody um, practices religion in a different way. Uh, to me, I would not be here tonight. I would not be running for president of the United States if I did not have very strong religious and spiritual uh, feelings. Uh, I believe that, um, as a human being, the pain that one person feels, if we have children who are hungry in America, if we have elderly people who can't afford their prescription drugs, you know what? That impacts you, that impacts me. And I worry very much about a society where some people spiritually say, it doesn't matter to me, I got it, I don't care about other people. So my spirituality is that we are all in this together. And that when children go hungry, when veterans sleep out on the street, it impacts me. That's my very strong spiritual feeling. Senator, I want you to meet uh, Denise Bernard. She was wounded in the Boston Marathon bombing. She says she's undecided. She's got a question about terrorism. Yes, I am a fortunate survivor from the Boston bombing, and it has changed my life. And one of the biggest things is participating in events, large events, and I'm running the marathon again this year with my husband, but my kids are going to be out there. So my kids are going to be out there spectating, and I can only think about their safety while they're out there. So my question to you is, what are your plans of keeping us safe from terrorism? Okay. Uh, for a start, in my view, uh, we have got to crush ISIS, right, for a start. Uh, and um, as somebody who voted against the war in Iraq, what I believe is we've got to learn the lessons of that war. So we have to destroy ISIS but we have to be not just tough, we have to be smart. And that means we work with a large coalition led by on-the-ground Muslim troops. King Abdullah of Jordan made the point, it will be Muslim troops who destroy ISIS because ISIS has hijacked their religion. The United States, UK, France, Germany, Russia provide support, in my view, to the troops on the ground. So we've got to crush them. Internally, what we have got to do is significantly improve intelligence. And I think we are not as strong as we can be in communicating with intelligence agencies all over this country. If people come into this country, they have got to be screened. And I happen to believe that we should accept refugees from the Middle East, from uh, Syria and Afghanistan. But I also appreciate the concern that others have that we have got to screen those people absolutely thoroughly. There needs to be better coordination between federal, state, and local police. We have to work, which is very hard, making sure that we are tracking internet transmission of information uh, where ISIS has been successful in getting information out and recruiting people. But your concerns, and again, thank you. You're a symbol of courage that you went through that horror in Boston and you're going back and you're running again. Thank you for your courage.
I want to just uh, follow up just briefly on that. Um, there is a disconnect. Democrats in Iowa who said that terrorism was the most important issue for them, they backed Secretary Clinton over you by 37 points. W why do you think that is? Why do you think they well, see her as more ready to handle it? Well, I, I think because she has a great deal of experience. Uh, she was Secretary of State of our country for four years. Uh, but I would say, Anderson, that uh, the key foreign policy vote uh, in modern American history was whether or not we should go into Iraq. And Secretary Clinton was in the Senate then. I was in the House then. We both listened to the same evidence. Uh, I made the decision, which I think history will conclude was the right decision, not to go to war. And if people want to go to my website, berniesanders.com, check out what I said in 2002. And it gives me no, no joy at all to say that much of what I feared would happen did in fact happen in terms of the destabilization of the region. So I think in terms of foreign policy, uh, I have the judgment. Uh, we've been all over this world, met with foreign leaders, uh, and I'm confident that we can assemble a team that would do a great job. Uh, I want you to meet Gabrielle Graves. She's a student here in New Hampshire. She's an independent voter, but she's supporting you. Hi, so um, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, like you are. <laughs> and um, my question is that I've experienced and I've witnessed a lot of police brutality and um, racial um, injustice. And I want to know, like, uh, I think and I do believe that it is uh, neighborhoods primarily of people of color, low-income neighborhoods that are disproportionately affected by unjust policing. And I want to know if you were to be elected as President of the United States, what would you do to um, enact change and combat this racial injustice? Gabriel, you have asked a, 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 an important question that is on the minds of millions of people, not just African Americans, but, but all people. Uh, here's what I would do. For a start, and, and I speak as a former mayor, I was mayor of Burlington, Vermont, as many know, uh, who work very closely with our police department and believe that the vast majority of police officers in this country are hardworking, honest, and are trying to do their best doing very, very difficult work. But if a police officer breaks the law, like any other public official, that police officer must be held accountable. That's number one. Number two, you have seen on television, as I have, local police departments that look like occupying armies. We have got to demilitarize local police departments, make them part of the community, not invading armies. Third, Third, and very importantly, we have got to make police departments look like the communities that they serve. So if there is a diverse community, the police department should reflect that diversity. Uh, fourthly, uh, in terms of police action, the federal, you know, police departments are run by local governments. But the federal government can play an important role in helping to fund model-type programs, for example, I think we have to rethink the use of lethal force. I think too often uh, lethal force goes first rather than last. Obviously there are times when policemen must use their guns and use them as quickly as possible. But I think what we need to do is figure out ways to train police departments so that police officers so that lethal force is the last resort, not the first resort. So those are some of the things that I would do. I want to ask you, because um, I think a lot of people don't know much about your background on this subject, and it's interesting, 54 years ago, you were in the front lines of trying to desegregate school housing at the University of Chicago. You were even arrested. Don't tell anybody that. 
<laughs> what was it that motivated a 20-year-old white kid from Brooklyn to do that? You know, it's hard to say what motivates anybody. Uh, I, I think uh, as a kid, uh, I did, my parents weren't political. My brother was a little bit. My parents were not. Uh, but, you know, it, you know, like in any school, you see big kids picking on little kids, you know. And I resented that. I always did. Uh, and, you know, injustice uh, bothered me very, very much. And when I went to the University of Chicago, uh, I had the opportunity to... Uh, I wasn't a great student. I have to, I have to admit it. Uh, in fact, I learned more off-campus shouldn't say this to other students, though. <laughs> Do your homework, study, but... You got a lot of teachers in this room, <laughs> But I learned a lot off, off of campus, and I got involved in a group, some may know, some not, called the Congress on Racial Equality, CORE. Uh, and it was a great group. We got involved in trying to desegregate uh, housing owned by the University of Chicago, segregated housing. And we also got involved in efforts to uh, desegregate the school system there, and I got arrested. But I think... You know, as far back as I can remember, and Anderson, I can't tell you why, uh, but uh, injustice uh, is something that I have always fought throughout my life. Why don't you meet Keith Howard? He's a veteran. He was homeless after serving in the Army. He's now the executive director of Liberty House, which is a transitional facility for ho former homeless vets. He says he's undecided. Keith, welcome. Yeah, Senator Sanders, throughout this election cycle, we've been contacted, Liberty House have been contacted by a number of Republican presidential candidates. To date, we've not heard from any Democrats. Have you ceded the support of huh. veterans to the Republicans? And if your answer is no, what is your evidence? What is my evidence? My evidence is that I'm the former chairman of the US Senate Committee on Veterans Affairs, that I introduced along with the support of the American Legion, the VFW, the DAV, the Vietnam Vets, and virtually every major veterans organization, the most comprehensive veterans health care legislation in the modern history of the United States of America. And sadly enough, you know, it's one thing for Republicans to talk about how much they love veterans. I got two Republican votes on a comprehensive bill supported by virtually the entire Veterans Committee. But I didn't give up. What I did then is work with people like John McCain, uh, Jeff Miller over in the House, and we passed, wasn't my ideal bill, I compromised, but it was the most significant piece of veterans health care legislation uh, passed in modern history. We put uh, some $16 billion into veterans health care as well as uh, in taking care of veterans in a number of other areas. So it's easy for politicians to give speeches, but what my work in the Senate has been involved is to making sure that veterans in this country get the best quality health care possible, get their benefits when they need them, not wait years and years. And we've made some progress on that. Do our best to end veterans homelessness. And President Obama put a lot of money into that. And we have had some success, still have a way to go. So I think if you check my record, it will tell you that I received the awards, the highest award from the American Legion and the VFW for my work on veterans' issues. So I'm proud of that. Let me, uh, let me follow up on that. Uh, you were on the Veterans Affairs Committee for eight years. You, you headed it for two years. Yes. There were 18 inspectors general reports talking about problems plaguing the VA. Why did it take so long, and did it take you too long to act? 
Uh, fair question. And, and I think, you know, the answer is that we have worked on many, many issues, Anderson. And, and your point is fair that we should have acted sooner. We should have known what was going on in Phoenix, those long waiting lines and the lies that some administrators were uh, telling us. Uh, on the other hand, what we also did, though, is make significant progress in terms of dealing with homelessness. We passed a post-9-11 GI Bill, which provides college education for the men and women who served in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. We passed a Caregivers Act, which for the first time will provide support to those folks, mostly women, who are staying home with disabled vets. So I think in recent years we have made some progress. Your point is a good one. We should have done better. All right. I want you to meet Marjorie Smith. She served nine terms in the State House here. She says she's currently undecided. Welcome. Thank you very much. Senator, you and I have a lot in common. I was born in Brooklyn in 1941. Oh, there we go. <laughs> so. You look younger than I do. Why is that? That's very kind of you to say. <laughs> but I'm not running for president. <laughs> um, Senator, many of us see how deeply held is your philosophy, and that matters a lot to us. We share those goals. At the same time, you have worked for many years to say it's my way or the highway. You talked tonight about wanting to have a revolution in the House and Senate in order to get people there who share your views. There might be some new members of the House and Senate, but they're not going to be all that many. How are you going to be able to work with a Congress that might not share our deeply held goals in order to achieve a more perfect union? Okay. Well, Marjorie, uh, thank you for your question. Um, it is just not accurate to say, I know sometimes people may portray me in this respect, it is not accurate to say that it's my way or the highway. Let me give you some examples. I just mentioned that I compromised significantly uh, with people like John McCain and Republicans in the House to pass what is regarded as the most significant piece of veterans legislation passed in many, many years. Uh, second of all, uh, when I was in the House of Representatives, uh, there were years, Marjorie, where I received uh, more votes, I won more amendments than any other uh, member of the House of Representatives because I reached out where there was common ground with Republicans. So I think I have a history of being able to work with Republicans when there is common ground. But here is the major point that I want to make, and I will continue to do that. But here is the truth, and it's an unpleasant truth, and I know that not everybody here will agree with me. In my view, we have a Congress today that is much more interested in doing the bidding of the wealthy and the powerful, Wall Street and the drug companies and the fossil fuel industries, rather than the needs of the American people. And I believe we're not going to make the real changes that we need, dealing with the grotesque level of income and wealth inequality, reforming a corrupt campaign finance system which allows billionaires to buy elections, dealing with climate change, making sure we don't continue to pay the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs 
when last year the three major drug companies made $45 billion in profit. Now, how do we change all of that? Well, where we can, we work with our Republican friends. But change, in my view, and what history tells us, has always come from the bottom on up. That's what the civil rights movement was about. That's what the women's movement was about. That's what the gay movement was about. That's what the environmental movement is about. And what we need right now is a very profound and deep movement in this country where millions of people, in fact, get involved and say, I'm sorry, my kid is not going to have to graduate college $100,000 in debt. That's wrong. My mom is entitled to decent health care and prescription drugs that she can afford. Those are the kinds of movements that we need, and that's how we will bring about real change in this country. I want you to meet uh, Mark Vines. He's a graphic artist. He's a Boy, uh, Boy Scout master. He says he decided to support you in the primary. Your question. Good evening, Senator. That's because I was a Boy Scout, too. <laughs> Good evening, Senator. Uh, four of our last five presidents were elected and served two terms. Do you see any limitations for yourself in the ability to serve two terms to enact these sweeping changes that you envision for our country? I don't, Mark. You know, we'll, we'll take one term at a time. I've got to get to the first term first. Um, you would be 83 at the end of your second term. But, you know, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> let's not be ageist here. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. Uh, you know, I am, thank God, in, in good health. And, and one can't predict the future. One never knows what happens tomorrow. But thank God I have, when I was a kid, I was a long-distance runner. I was uh, not quite the marathon runner, uh, but I was a cross-country runner. Uh, and I've had good endurance and good strength my whole life. Uh, so, you know, if, if I am fortunate enough to win the general election uh, and we do well, yes, I would like to run for re-election. you got a lot more energy than I do, certainly. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back with more audience questions for Senator Sanders. You're watching the CNN Democratic Presidential Town Hall, live from New Hey, CNN podcast listeners, this is Jake Tapper reminding you that State of the Union and The Lead are both available as audio podcasts. Monday through Friday on The Lead, you get the day's top stories in politics, money, sports, pop culture. And every Sunday on State of the Union, we have interviews with top newsmakers on politics and policy. You can get the podcasts at CNN.com slash podcast or subscribe in your favorite app. Thanks. questions. I want to play for Senator Sanders a clip from Hillary Clinton's uh, speech Monday night after the Iowa caucuses. Let's listen. Here's what I want you to know. It is rare. It is rare that we have the opportunity we do now to have a real contest of ideas, to really think hard about what the Democratic Party stands for and what we want the future of our country to look like if we do our part to build it. I am a progressive who gets things done for people. 
There were a lot of your supporters uh, who, when they heard that, didn't think or express their belief that she's not a progressive. We talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but just so we're clear, do you believe Hillary Clinton is a progressive? Let me just say this. I have um, enormous respect for Hillary Clinton. I've known her for 25 years, and it's unfortunate, you know, in politics, and everybody should know this, what media often wants you to do, and you're asked this question, I'm sure it's the same with Secretary Clinton, beat her up. Tell me something terrible about her. Attack her, because that will make the news. I have tried my best not to do that. You're looking at a guy who has been in politics a long time. And I have never run a negative ad in my life, and I look forward to never running a negative ad in my life. Okay? I don't think people deserve that. We have to, as Secretary Clinton just said, that's what politics is about. It's a debate on the issues. Secretary Clinton has a long and distinguished public career. Uh, she has worked with children when she began, and God only knows that we need a lot of work, uh, given the fact that we have the highest rate of childhood poverty of any major country on earth. So I respect it. I thought she did a good job as Secretary of State. I served with her in the Senate. We worked together on some issues. But there are other issues, uh, Anderson, where I think she is just not progressive. I do not know any progressive who has a super PAC and takes $15 million from Wall Street. That's just not progressive. As I mentioned earlier, the key foreign policy vote of modern American history was the war in Iraq. The progressive community was pretty united in saying, don't listen to Bush. Don't go to war. Secretary Clinton voted to go to war. Virtually all of the trade unions and millions of working people understand that our trade policies, NAFTA, CAFTA, permanent normal trade relations with China, etc., have been written by corporate America. And the goal of it is to be able to throw American workers out on the street, move to China and other low-wage countries, and bring their products back into this country. And that's one of the reasons why the middle class of this country and the working class is struggling so hard. Secretary Clinton has been a supporter in the past of various trade policies, NAFTA uh, and PMTR with China. Reluctantly, and after a lot of pressure on her, she came out against the TPP, and I'm glad that she did. Every sensible person understands that climate change is real, it is caused by human activity, and we have got to transform our energy system away from fossil fuel. For a long time, Secretary Clinton was talking about the benefits of the Keystone Pipeline. Well, there are no benefits to excavating and transporting some of the dirtiest fossil fuel in the world. I was in the lead in opposition to the Keystone Pipeline. I'm in opposition to the pipeline right here in New Hampshire and the pipeline in Vermont. I think we have got to move aggressively away from fossil fuel if we're going to leave this planet in a way that's healthy and habitable for our kids. So those are just some of the areas. And just one quick follow-up to that. There's a new book called Buyer's Remorse, How Obama Let Progressives Down. You gave it a ringing endorsement. No, I didn't give it well, a ringing endorsement. It. Nope. Okay, you true. tell me what you did. I wrote a blurb for it. Okay. And you may have the blurb there. And what the blurb said is that I think the next president should be very aggressive in bringing people into the political process. 
And that, I believe, from the bottom of my heart, and if elected president, that will be a top priority of mine. Did President Obama let progressives down? I think in some areas, for example, in the trade area. Right now, I think they signed today the TPP in New Zealand. I think it is a continuation of bad trade policies. President supports it. I strongly disagree with it. On the other hand, let's be very clear. And I got a little bit upset that our Republican friends suffer from a very serious illness called amnesia. <laughs> they forgot what the economy of this country was like seven years ago when we were losing 800,000 jobs a month, when we were running up a $1.4 trillion deficit, and by the way, the world's financial system was on the verge of collapse. President Obama, Vice President Biden, have taken us a very, very long way from those dismal days. Are we where we want to be today? No. But we have come a long way, and President Obama deserves an enormous amount of credit for that. Senator, as you know, in a recent poll, I'm sure 88% of adults in New Hampshire said heroin abuse is a very serious problem in this state. I want you to meet David Cody. He's a recovery coach who's in long-term recovery himself. He says he's undecided, leaning toward you. David, thanks for being here. What's your question? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Senator, for hearing me. Um, I, I come to you tonight as, as a father of a teenager. Um, I have a, a young teenage daughter. And my biggest concern these days <coughs> is uh, the, the availability of opiates and, and other drugs, substances, um, on the street and the effects that they have on our, you know, on our youth and, and on our citizens. Um, my, uh, my question to you is, we're losing 129 people a day in this country. Um, in, in the city of Manchester, we're losing one person a week, at, you know. Unbelievable. Minimally. Um, and my, uh, my question to you is, if, uh, what would you do um, in order to secure recovery services for those that have slipped through the, the cracks of prevention and, and moved on to treatment. Thank you very much for your question. Uh, it is a crisis here in New Hampshire, and by the way, it is a crisis in Vermont. You may recall our governor gave his State of the Union speech a year ago on this issue because you know, people think, well, New Hampshire and Vermont, these are rural states, not a problem. You are right. It is a terrible problem. What do we do? For a start, we understand that substance abuse and addiction is a health issue, not a criminal issue. Okay. And when I talk about moving toward universal health care, what I understand that to be, and it is absolutely imperative that it be, is understanding that mental health and addiction is part of health care. And what that means is that when people need treatment, they shouldn't have to wait three months. They, when they need it, they should be able to get it. So that means we need a revolution in this country in mental health care to address the causes of addiction and provide treatment. And I was to a, a, a treatment center in Manchester, uh, which is kind of peer-oriented, former uh, people who had addiction work with other people. That's one approach. There are many other approaches. But the bottom line is we have a very, very serious crisis in this country, and we have got to make sure that when people need the help, they get the help. And the other question that we have to ask is, and it's a tough question, nobody I know knows the answer, why is it 
Why is it? One of the reasons, by the way, is I think that doctors are prescribing opiates in a way that they have got to cut back a little bit on. Uh, they are giving out a whole lot of pills. A friend of mine got a molar re removed. They got 50 very strong uh, pain-killing drugs. And these drugs are rampant. Kids are using them, getting addicted, then getting into heroin. So I think we've got to talk to the pharmaceutical industry about what they're producing, doctors what they're prescribing, and then we have to make treatment available to people when they need it. I want you to meet uh, Raul Bernal. He's a Democrat. He says he's undecided. Raul. First name is Raul. Raul. Great. Uh, Senator Sanders, thank you very much for um, a, a great campaign that you've run. Um, voters in Iowa, voters in New Hampshire have had an opportunity to, to get to know you, to understand the details of your platform and, and forums just like this. Um, and while I'm inspired by your passion on the issues, one of the concerns I have is your electability in a general election when there's less opportunity to really connect with voters. Good. And, you know, can you win Good. in other parts of the country? Excellent question. Look, uh, in the real world, there are people, I, I hesitate to say this in this room, but there are people who like Donald Trump. I know. There are not in this room, but there are. And, and you know, that's the world. We are a diverse political nation. Uh, and there are people who like and respect Hillary Clinton and people who like me and so forth and so on. And I don't object. Somebody will stand up and say, I support Hillary Clinton. That's fine. You know. But what I don't, I object to, is people say, well, Bernie, I really like you. I like your ideas. I like your record. But I'm not going to vote for you because you can't win. Okay? So let me address that issue. Number one, I'm not a great fan of polls, not even CNN polls. <laughs> but CNN had a poll, as I recall. Uh, and what that poll said is that Bernie Sanders ran significantly better against Donald Trump than did Hillary Clinton. Okay? There was another poll said the same thing. Because, among other things, I do very well with independents. And that's one of the reasons why we are doing well against Republicans. So, number one, some of these polls have me way, way ahead of Donald Trump, further so than Secretary Clinton. Number two, look at battleground states like New Hampshire. The last poll that I saw in New Hampshire had me 19 points ahead of Trump, Secretary Clinton, one point, okay? Similar results, not quite so strong in Iowa and Wisconsin. Okay, polls forget polls, they go up and down. What else? Democrats win elections when there is a large voter turnout. That's what Obama did in 2008. Republicans win elections when people are demoralized and give up on the political process. I believe, and I think an objective assessment of my campaign and Secretary Clinton's campaign, she's running a good campaign, but I think an objective assessment would say that there is more excitement and energy in our campaign. We are bringing out working class people who have previously given up on politics. We are bringing out large numbers of young people. So if you want to win in November, and I want us to defeat Republicans, Secretary Clinton wants us to defeat Republicans, Everybody in this room understands that we don't want some right-wing Republican in the Oval Office. But I believe, quite honestly, that I am the strongest candidate to do that, because I think I can drive a large voter turnout, bringing in new energy into the Democratic Party. Let me ask you, because as you know, as you know, in this state, an, an independent, there are a lot of independents right. in this state, 
They can vote in the Republican primary. They can vote in the Democratic primary. So there are some voters out there, independent voters, who are trying to decide between you or Donald Trump. What would you say to them? This is what I would say. I would say that examine Trump's record carefully. And it is not only his bigoted remarks against Latinos, uh, suggesting that Mexicans coming into this country are rapists or criminals or drug dealers or his absurd remark that we should not allow Muslims into this country, even above and beyond those outrageous, bigoted statements. Take a look at what he stands for economically. This country has millions of people struggling economically. I believe we should raise the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour over the next couple of years. Trump says, no, $7.25 an hour, we should not raise the minimum wage. Most workers don't agree with that. Trump, in a Republican debate, said wages are too high in America. Really? Too high in America? That's what he said in a Republican debate. And here's the other one that kind of blows me away. Trump is, as you know, a well-known scientist, brilliant scientist. (laughs) And he has concluded, after years of studying the issue, that climate change is a hoax brought to us by the Chinese. Now, that shocked me, Anderson, because I thought that he would have thought it was a hoax brought to us by the Mexicans or the Muslims. Chinese, I didn't quite get. But the point is, if you examine his agenda, it is not an agenda for working Americans. He wants to give hundreds of billions of dollars in tax breaks to the top two-tenths of one percent. So I think, and I would love the opportunity, frankly, I'm prejudiced, I want Trump to win the Republican nomination. And I would love the opportunity to run against him. I think we would win by a lot. We just have a few more. Actually, you'll take a seat. So we just have time for a few more questions. We've covered a lot of, a lot of important yes. policy issues. There's a lot of folks out there who really don't know much about you. So I thought we'd just ask a couple of uh, sort of lighter questions just to kind of, tr- kind of get to know you. I read one of your daughters say, that if you had a, a, a car, or if they sold cars with manual locks and windows, that's the kind of car you would get. So what kind of car do you actually have? Uh, I have a small Chevrolet. Um, it is one of the smallest Chevys that they make. Do you know what year it's from? Yeah, it's about five years old. Okay, not bad. A red car. Is it true you chop your own wood? It's a red car. Is it true you chop- Pretty good on mileage, but- yeah. Is uh, it true you chop your own wood? I wouldn't go that far. Okay. <laughs> People in Vermont and New Hampshire would laugh at me. What I do do is, you know, we have a wood stove and I, you know. You also, uh, in 1987, when you were mayor of Burlington, you recorded an album of folk classics. <laughs> How are those pipes doing? We're in an opera house. How are they? Any uh, more albums in your future? Let, let me just say this. If you're looking at a president who can carry a tune, I'm not the guy. (laughs) I hope I have other attributes, but singing is not one of them. It's the Uh, worst album. Actually, it's selling very well because people are buying it. It's the worst (laughs) album ever recorded. People can't believe how bad it is. (laughs) Along... uh... Along those same, those same lines, I understand Larry David is hosting SNL this weekend. He does a pretty good imitation of you. Do you do an, a Larry David imitation? Anderson, I'm gonna, I know you've been in journalism for a long time. Uh, are you doing your Larry is, David right is now? Scoop. Uh, I am Larry David. 
And you didn't get it. What's your, what's your proudest moment? Either professionally or, or personally? I think my proudest general moment is uh, being married for 27 years, having four great kids, several of them are here tonight, and seven very beautiful grandchildren. That's my proudest. If we asked, uh, your, your wife Jane is here. If we asked her to describe you in one word, what, what word do you think she'd use? Tell them, Jane. Anti? Integrity was Integrity, okay. I thought you said anti-greed. Okay, <laughs> integrity. All right, I want to give you, I want to, uh, just finally, I want to give you 30 seconds to make a closing argument to the people in New Hampshire. Okay, thank you very much. And thanks for hosting this event. I've enjoyed it. This is called democracy, and I love this. Um, our country faces enormous problems. And if I believe that establishment politics and establishment economics could solve the problems, I would not be running for president. The sad truth is that we have a rigged economic system. People are working longer hours for low wages. Almost all new wealth and income is going to the top 1%. And we have a corrupt campaign finance system which is undermining democracy and allowing billionaires to buy elections. If elected president, I will do my best working with the American people as we revitalize our democracy to take those issues on to rebuild the American middle class and become the country that all of us know that we have the potential to be. Thank you all very much. Senator Sanders, thank you very much. When we come back, Hillary Clinton takes the stage, taking questions from the audience. We'll be right back. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.